And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Haggai. Uh, most of you don't even, never heard of the book of Haggai, have no idea where to find it in your Bible. It's on page 1042. So if you have the Bible I have, you can, uh, you can be helped by that. Otherwise, no, it's toward the end. It's just a couple of books before the New Testament starts. Um, and I have a bit of an introduction before we actually read the verse we're going to look at, but it's also printed in your bulletin. So if you give up and you can't find it, or you, uh, or you want some extra time, you can, uh, you can, take, it, you can take a look and, um, and try to find it. But it goes, it goes Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then the New Testament. So you're talking three books before the end of the Old Testament, and you can find it there. But I want to start by asking... Um, a question, you know, what areas do you want to see change this year? You know, it's New Year's, we're starting over, lots of people want a new beginning, and, and the question that I want us to ask is, what is it that you're looking for this year? What is it that you want to change? What is it that you want to start doing? What is it that you want to stop doing? Um, I know lots of people want to lose weight, they want to exercise more, uh, maybe you want to cut down on your drinking, uh, maybe you want to eat healthier, Uh, Maybe you want to get a promotion or have some work-related goals, make more time in your schedule for family, friends, or for spouse. Um, Maybe you want to reconnect with God this year. And so you're here in part because, you know what, a new beginning means, hey, I want to go back to church. Um, Personally, I go go back and forth. Like some years, I'm super gung-ho. Yes, new year, new goals, here we go. I'm going to do it right this time. And then other years, I'm like, New Year's, eh, whatever, okay. You know, I'm already kind of moving in this direction. Let me just keep going. And so, so either way, like some of you are like super gung-ho. Some of you aren't. Um, I think we're all going to find something here. I do believe, though, that there's a bigger and more important question, though, than what do you want to change this year? Okay, there's a bigger question. There's a deeper question. There's a more important question than what is it that you want to change this year? And so as we look here, uh, more important than what you do, what do you want this year is why do you want it? I want you to ask yourself that today. Why do you want what you want this year? Why do you want the goals that you've set out? Why do you want the change that you're looking for? And I think the why is actually much more important than the what of your goals. Um, Every year we get a chance to do this. Every year we get a chance at a new beginning, and the question is, where do we start? Right? Where do you start? If you're going to have a new beginning, where do you start? Um, Do you just pick something from the common resolutions? Right? The list. I mean, you can find them anywhere, top resolutions. You just look up and see what everybody else is resolving to do, so you're just going to pick from that list. Um, You just try to go back to the gym because that's what everybody else is doing. Um, You try to figure out Sometimes you think, all right, what would make the people in my life happy or what would make me better and more approved in the lives of the people around me? Um, And the reality for most people is that resolutions don't work. So the latest statistics I got this year are that 25% of all resolutions die within the first two weeks. So if you go to the gym now, it's packed. And literally, in another week, you can go again and it'll be empty. And it's so interesting. Um, and then 60% die within six months. But even more than the discouragement of that, more than the thing that kind of sort of feeds the cynicism in you that goes, eh, which is why bother? Like, I just won't even do resolutions this year. I'm just going to keep going. What's worse is that I think even if we did keep the resolutions that we have made, 
we actually wouldn't be happier because of it. There is something about achieving a goal that you set out, but I think the reality is that most of the goals, most of the resolutions that we set out will not actually make us happy because the why underneath them is off. Um, so you can get all the what in the world of success, but if the why is off, then you are not actually going to end up being happy. Um, making change because the culture tells you that you need to look better or more attractive or thinner, that's not going to make you happy to become that way because guess what? By the time you get there, if you ever get there, which you probably will never, ever get there, because when you go down that road, you never, ever get there, right? I just need to lose a little bit of weight. Well, how much? Well, I don't know, maybe eight pounds, maybe 10, maybe, uh, and then you get like four and you're like, wow, I don't really see a difference. And then you might even get to eight or 10 or your goal and you're like, you know what? I don't, I'm looking... I don't see any difference, you know? And so it's, it's just never enough. The culture changes constantly, too. By the time you might achieve this goal that makes you fit in and now you're cool or now you're with the culture, the culture's, like, moved into something else and they're, they've left you behind. They don't care about you. So changing because the culture, I think, is not wise. It's not going to make you happy. Change because you want someone else's approval of you also doesn't work because approval, again, is flighty. It doesn't last. And you might do something that makes somebody else go, oh, man, now I see you in this light. But guess what? I mean, after a while, it's not going to be enough. And so these sorts of new beginnings don't last. They don't have staying power. And if you can identify with what I'm talking about here, then you know now what it was like for the people during the days of Haggai. Okay, when Haggai was written, so it's a short book in the Old Testament, right? Most of you don't even know where it is. And so you're like, what the heck? <laughs> How is that going to make me want to invite somebody? Hey, yeah, what do you, you know, come to church. Why? What are you guys doing? Well, the pastor's preaching through Haggai. <laughs> Stephen, why did you pick Haggai? What the heck? What are you doing? Um, it's because, it's because the people of Israel at the time that Haggai was writing felt exactly the same way. Okay, it was 520 BC, so over 500 years before Jesus was born, so 500 years before Christmas. And we're going to dive into the historical details of what was going on in the coming weeks. But what's important for you to know, for us to know today, to connect with this, is that for the people at that time, life wasn't working. Okay, life wasn't working, it was frustrating. People were frustrated and they didn't know where to begin to fix it. I'm like, well, that's us, <laughs> right? That's us, because no matter how hard we try, it just doesn't seem to work out. No matter how hard we work, it doesn't seem like we have enough, no matter what, you know, no matter how we try relationships, and, you know, we're going to forgive, and then we feel like we got stepped on. I mean, in relation, and all these different things in life, we're frustrated, and we don't know where to begin. And so into that is Haggai. Into that writes Haggai. And so we're going to start by looking at Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. And so it's in your bulletin. It's up here on the screen. For those of you who are superheroes and found it in your Bibles, like kudos to you. I'd ask you to raise your hands, but I want to attempt you to be proud. So it's so a way to go. The Lord sees you that you found it. Good job. Here's what Haggai says. This is the first verse. That's all we're going to look at today because there's something important here that we need to slow down and camp out in if we're going to have a, a new beginning that actually matters, a new beginning that makes a difference in our lives. 
So here's what Haggai says. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So, into the frustration of the life of these people back then, God speaks. Into their need for a new beginning, God speaks. He gives his word. Into our frustration, God also speaks. Today, into our need for a new beginning, God is also going to speak to us through how he spoke 2,500 years ago. It's kind of exciting. It's kind of exciting. You're going to see this. Um, When it comes to a new beginning, the question we want to answer today is where do we start? Okay, that's the title of the sermon. That's where we're going. Where do we start? If you want to have a new beginning that actually means something that's going to last, where do we start? And we're going to go through three points. And the first point is this. Where do we start a new beginning? We start with the God of second chances. So if you want to write something down, write this down. We want to start with the God of second chances. Even when we ask the question, where do we start? Something happens and we go, oh, whoa, hold on a second. Um, Because asking the question, where do we start? What we find out by reading Haggai is that God has already started. Okay? Um, New beginnings are started by actually God speaking to us first. Okay, this is what he does. This is what he did through Haggai. And this is what his same spirit is, has led me to encourage you to think about. Right now you're thinking about this because God wants to speak to you because God has spoken. Right? And so the book of Haggai and New Beginnings, it starts with God speaking first. It says there in sort of the middle of verse 1, it says, um, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So here's good news for you. Good news today is that God isn't waiting for us. God doesn't wait for us, but God comes so that we can have a new beginning. God's coming actually gives us a new beginning. God's coming gives us a second chance. We just experienced Christmas, and I hope that you were encouraged and inspired and renewed because you realized that, whoa, even before you were born, even before you were ever frustrated, God came. God came long before you were even a twinkle in the eyes of your parents. God came and did something so radical to give you a second chance. That's what he does. He's the God of second chances. And we see this actually here in this verse because it's the word of the Lord that came by the hand by Haggai the prophet. Um, The word Lord... um, There's lots of names that the Bible uses to describe God, okay? I don't know how many there are, maybe 30, 40. And each name, um, some of them are descriptive titles. Some of them are, like, there's the God of angel armies. Like, that's actually one of the titles of God that we sing about. There's the God of angel armies that speaks to his power, that speaks to the fact that he can do anything, that he can rule over nations and does rule over nations. He has all this power, right? There's God the creator, in the Bible. There's God the Redeemer. There's the God who sees. There's all these different titles for God. 
And the one that we have in this verse is the word Lord, and it's all capitals. This is one of the, like, this is one of the most important, okay? When you see the word Lord in all capitals in the Bible, um, what's happening there is that this is an English, it's not even a translation, but it's an English word that is used for the name that God revealed of himself. Okay, there was this moment um, when God came to Israel, when they were in bondage, they were in slavery in Egypt before the Exodus. God came to Moses in the burning bush. Some of you may have heard about the burning bush from the Old Testament. That's a story that's there where God comes and he says, I've heard, I know what you're going through, I understand what you're going through, and I am now coming, and um, I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to be your God and make you my people. And at one point, Moses goes, well, when I tell the people that God appeared to me and they say, well, who is this God? What's his name? What should I tell them? At that moment, God says, this is my name. My name is I Am. And so God gives himself this name. It's, it's the name I Am. In Hebrew, it's often pronounced Yahweh. So maybe some of you have heard that Hebrew term. It's, and it really, it's just, it's related to the verb to be. And when God says, I am, what he's saying is, I am the God who is and who has been and who forever will be. Okay? And so this title, this all capital Lord, is the, is the English translation of this name that God reveals. And what it means is that God is eternal that God has always been, he always will be, he is the God above time, and this is the God who comes to us. This is the God who calls to us and calls us back to him, and he gives us a second chance at a new beginning. Okay, and so let me just show you one of the verses from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It says this, the Lord, again, the same word, the same name, Yahweh, yet the, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, This is God pronouncing his name and helping us understand what it means. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And so this God is a God of grace. This God is a God of forgiveness. This God is a God of steadfast love who continues to love even when it's difficult. Um, this is the God of second chances. Because I know that if you are anything like me and you hear the God of second chances, you might think, oh, well, if he's only the God of second chances, then I'm, I'm toast. <laughs> Can I get a third chance, Lord? <laughs> about a fourth, fifth, sixth? Isn't there a place, Jesus, where you said seven times 70-something or other? Um, I hope that means you just sort of stop counting after a while because I think I'm probably beyond 490. Um, So, I mean, and that's what this is saying. Like God is saying, this is the I am. This is one who has always been, who always will be. This is the God who has seen it all who has been working with people, and this is his disposition toward people, even people who fail him, even people who sin and transgress and commit iniquity, okay? And so 
So God is a God of second chances. And this word Lord highlights the reality that when his word comes, it doesn't come to those who've got their act together. Okay? Jesus didn't come and spend time with the people who were perfect. He actually identified and said to the group of people, he said, these are my people, and those people were those who were sinners. He was a friend of prostitutes and drunkards, tax collectors and sinners. And so this is the character of God that's revealed by this name. And so this name in the scriptures, you're going to see it over and over and over again. If you read, um, if you read Haggai in these two chapters, um, and it's God telling us that, look, I am the God of new beginnings. When I come, I will forgive. And this is important for us to remember because there are times, right? There are moments in our lives where we think, oh, surely not anymore could God love me. Like, all right, I knew God loved me before, but not after this many times sinning in this way. Surely not after I've done this. Um, the reason that we confess our sins each week um, during our singing is because God wants us to know for sure that he is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and 878th chances. And so... When you need a second chance, this is a God that you want to come to. Um, when you need a second chance in your marriage, God can forgive you and God can give you the strength that you need to grow. If you need a second chance in the office, in your workplace, God is a God of second chances. In parenting, in dating relationships, um, in friendships, God is a God of second chances. In fact, like forgiveness is a second chance. God is saying, look, okay, I'm not going to make you pay for what you've done. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to cleanse you from your sin. I'm not going to hold this against you. This is what God does when we confess to him. And he gives us, it's sometimes, sometimes I think about like every time I confess my sins, I get a new beginning. I get a new beginning. Sometimes second chances come before the consequences, right? There are times when we do something wrong and we ask for forgiveness and we're forgiven and we actually don't experience consequences. I mean, that's incredible grace. That's, I mean, it's undeserved. We deserve the consequences. And so sometimes a second chance comes before the consequences. Sometimes a second chance comes after the consequences. Um, for the people of Israel, this second chance is coming after the consequences, We'll talk more about this, but they spent 70 years banished and exiled from their land because um, they were being punished because of what they did, and God is now bringing them back during this time of Haggai and bringing them back so they can experience a second chance. I'm in Harbor City Youth, in our youth group. We're going through the book of Jonah, and if any of you know that story, the first time God comes to Jonah and says, go and preach, Jonah's like, uh-uh, and he runs the other way, and he gets swallowed up by a fish. And then the fish vomits him back out. And then it says in chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to him a second time and says, go and preach. And this time Jonah does. And so Jonah gets this second chance, but it comes after the consequences of being um, a regurgitated element in the whale of a fish or in the belly of a whale or a fish. So sometimes we experience consequences, don't we? You know, sometimes we do stuff wrong and we actually pay for it. Sometimes the work relationship doesn't get fixed. Sometimes we get fired. 
and we have to start over. God gives us a second chance, but it's a second chance now from a few steps below because sometimes in God's infinite wisdom, he knows actually it's better for you to experience the consequences here. That's going to help you in the long run to be the person that I want you to be. Um, And so sometimes second chances come after consequences. And so in this, though, in this, we want to start, again, with the God of second chances, right? Back to this first point. Um, The book of Haggai exists because God comes and speaks to us, okay? A new beginning will not work if it doesn't include God. That's what the point of this verse is. If you want a new beginning this year, your new beginning will not work unless it starts with God, unless it includes God. And this is where I said before that you might have goals that have nothing to do with God. You might have goals that you think have nothing to do with God. And I can just say that if you achieve those goals, the satisfaction that you get will not last. But if your new beginning begins with God, then God can give you a satisfaction and a joy and a contentment and an excitement about life that no amount of broken goals or failed goals can take away. And so God comes and speaks to us. Um, I, have, I have a lot of friends that are doing their best to try to be happy. And some of them are trying to be happy apart from God. And I spend time with them and I love them and I care about them and I don't want to harp on them or be a broken record, but I I watch them pursuing happiness and wondering why it's not working. And it's because they're not listening to God. It's because they're not starting with God. They're pursuing contentment, they're pursuing joy, they're pursuing accomplishment apart from God and it's, it's just not working. Um, And so I look for opportunities and I pray for opportunities to be able to say, you know, I think that what you're aiming for, I think what you're aiming for is a good thing. I understand it. It makes sense why you're aiming for it. But I actually don't think this is going to make you happy even if you got it. Um, And I want you to know that what I would love to see in you, I mean, I had this conversation a couple days ago, Um, what I would love is that if you were to pursue this goal along with a relationship with Jesus, then you're going to find a happiness that will stay with you whether you achieve this or not. Huh, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, I can tell you my own experience. Like I've pursued happiness in all kinds of ways and the only thing that's actually lasted for me is knowing that I've got a relationship with God, knowing that he is alive and working in my life. When I have that, nothing can go wrong. I mean, truly, like even the bad stuff, I know there's a purpose for it, and I can look and see how God uses even the bad stuff that happens to bring about great good in my life. And we just begin to talk. You know, and so, I mean, again, God has spoken to us. He doesn't want us to wonder what's wrong. He doesn't want us to to question. He doesn't want us to not know why life isn't working. And so he comes and he speaks. And the question for us today is, are we willing to listen? 
Are we willing to put ourselves in a place where we can hear what God has to say? We're going to talk a little bit more about that. This verse teaches us that we need to learn from God. We need to learn his priorities. When the word of the Lord comes by the hand of Haggai the prophet, like we need to listen. When God speaks, we need to hear him. And so we start with the God of second chances. Our second point is that we want to start with God's leadership. Okay, that's what this verse teaches us. I want you to look back at the verse. Because who did this word go to? This word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest. Okay, so we have Haggai the prophet, and he goes to Zerubbabel and Joshua. And when we look at the verse, what we learn is that Zerubbabel is the governor and Joshua is the priest. Okay, and governor is kind of like the king, sort of a sub-king. He's underneath a bigger king um, who is Darius, as verse 1 also tells us. He's the king. He sends Zerubbabel to be the governor. And so when God gives people a second chance, he rekindles leadership in their lives because leadership is what we need. Okay? God goes, he sends the prophet to the king and the priest or to the governor and the priest. Um, and these are the three main offices of leadership in the Bible, okay, prophet, priest, and king. And each of these represents sort of a vital aspect of the kind of thing that we need. And so God recognizes, and what God has chosen to do is God works through people. And so God sends to his people who want a new beginning, he sends them prophets, priests, and kings, okay? Prophets tell us what God thinks and feels, Right? how God thinks about situations, about life, about us, about what's really important. And the prophet sort of represents God to the people. So it's almost like the prophet hears and then the prophet stands with back to God, face to people, and speaks. And so we learn what God thinks and feels from prophets. Now the priest sort of does a little bit of the opposite. The priest is like a mediator between us and God and brings us together. So the priest sort of takes our offerings. In the Old Testament, this is how it worked. So the, the people would come with their offerings. The priest would take the offerings and they would turn around and representing the people would go to God and present these offerings. Okay, so the prophet faces the people, the priest sort of faces God, brings, brings them together. And then the king, the king rules over all. The king exercises power to lead the people, to govern the people, to defend the people, and to protect them. And so the king sort of provides um, protection, provides um, like a plan and a map for the direction of a, of a society or a community. And the people need these things, right? These are the kinds of leaders that people need. Um, if you want to have a new beginning, like you need a prophet, right? You need a prophet who can tell you what God's priorities are so that you can include God in your new beginning, okay? Then you need a, you need a priest, um, you need a priest who is going to take you with all of your failures and either remind you that God is giving you a second or a 2,000-and-second chance um, or who can intercede between you and God. Like you need someone who can bring your even tainted offerings, your imperfect life, and present it to God in a way that God would accept. Um, and then we need a king. We need a king to sort of rule us and govern us. We need a king to give us power. We need a king to give us like a plan for how we can exercise this new beginning, what we can do. Um, and so 
So the people of Israel needed these three things. We need each of these three things. And what's amazing is that these offices of prophet, priest, and king, they actually show us exactly what Jesus came to do. Okay? These three prophet, priest, and king offices are really helpful summaries of what Jesus did when he was on earth and what Jesus continues to do for us as our Savior. And so Jesus came and he was like a prophet, right? He spoke, he preached. And what was amazing was that he didn't just speak for God. As the prophet, Jesus was God speaking to us. And so here you have not just that God sends someone to represent him, who, you know, but God is up in heaven, sitting on his throne, wondering when we're going to get our act together, right? No, with Jesus, God comes as the prophet. And he speaks. Um, He speaks into the problems and the brokenness and corrects those things and takes on himself sort of the, um, the flack, He takes on himself the persecution for saying things that people don't want to hear, right? So he's a prophet that's actually experiencing the negativity of telling people stuff they don't want to hear, right? And so Jesus is a prophet. He announces good news, and he actually accomplishes the good news. The news is about himself. Um, Jesus is also our priest, right? That Jesus came, and he offered not an animal sacrifice, but Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Our sin separates us from God. And so Jesus came, and as our priest, in a sense, he offered himself to God. He said, God, these people deserve to die. These people deserve to be punished for their sins. Put the punishment on me. Punish me. Punish me so that they can be forgiven, so we can give them a second chance. And so Jesus offered himself and now continues to intercede for us. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is at the right hand of God, and when we need someone to bring us close to God, when you feel far away from God, Jesus is there to bring us back. Jesus says, look, you don't have to think that you need to be good enough to enter into God's presence. You just need to come with me, because I was good enough. I am good enough to enter into God's presence, and I'm gonna bring you with me. If you enter in, if you pray in my name, then I will be with you in your prayers and God will accept you. And Jesus is also our king. We're gonna look at this in the coming weeks, but Jesus rules over us, he governs us, he tells us what to do, which I know some of you don't like that. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. Even if it's God, you don't care. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. Well, Jesus is our king. And this king who tells us the truth, this king who actually died for us, is the one who tells us what to do. And he doesn't just tell us what to do, but Jesus, as a king, gives us his strength. We are weighed down by the power of sin in our lives. We are weighed down by the stuff that, I mean, just that enslaves us. And Jesus didn't just die for us, but he rose from the dead. Jesus entered into death and took all of the weight of sin and brokenness if you think about all that's been done in human history that's wrong, that has destroyed people, that has destroyed the world, that has destroyed relationships, Jesus took the weight of all of that, and it sort of like crushed him into the ground. That's the image. And in the resurrection, Jesus demonstrates that he has a power in himself that is stronger than even that. Jesus' power is stronger than your sin. 
Jesus' power is stronger than the things that keep you in bondage. Jesus' power, and he gives it to you freely. He gives you his own spirit. He pours his spirit out on you after his resurrection so that he can share with you the power that he lived by. That's our king. Man, that's our king. And so where these people heard the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai, friends, we today get to hear the word of this same Lord through Jesus. Haggai was just a prophet, but Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king. Haggai could tell us about God, but Jesus was God. And Haggai could tell us, hey, this is what you need to do to have a new beginning. But Jesus says, I am your new beginning. And so, a new beginning starts with God's leadership. Okay, you need, you need Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate leader of God. And so, our last and final point is <clears throat> back to where we started in the beginning. We want to start with the God of second chances. We want to start with God's leadership. Third, a new beginning starts with hearing God. Okay? You need to hear. God speaks. A new beginning starts with hearing the word of God. So what does that mean? Well, this means that if you want to have a new beginning that's actually going to last, if you want to have a new beginning that's going to mean something, if you want to have a new beginning that's going to make you into, man, something that can make a difference in San Diego, you need to start with hearing God. Like this year, you need to be hearing God. And so I want to ask all of you to devote yourselves to the Bible. Devote yourselves to the Bible. Um, This is the word of the Lord. And I know, I know that there's stuff in here that's difficult. I know there's stuff in here that's confusing. I know there's stuff in here that makes you angry or upset or frustrated. Um, And we've talked about a lot of those things in sermon series just uh, in the fall. And so we've got sermons that handle some of those questions. But I want to ask everyone, I want to challenge you that if you really want a new beginning, you can't have a new beginning without hearing God. Okay? And one of the best ways for you to hear God is by spending time with him, spending time reading the Bible. Okay? And we've got something that is designed to help you do this, to show you how to do it. It's called City Bible Reading, Um, uh, CBR for short, if you've been around Harbor, you've heard us talk about this. Um, but City Bible Reading is, it's, it's, it's a reading plan. So it tells you what to read so that all of us can kind of read the Bible at the same time in the same place. Because if you're reading what I'm reading and we talk, it's like, hey, what did you get out of the reading today? And you'd be like, oh, this is what I learned. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I didn't think about that. This is what I learned. And sort of we're sort of growing in community together. So there's a plan for reading the Bible. But then there's also a process of turning reading the Bible into worship. Because that's the goal. Like the goal isn't actually reading the Bible. The goal is hearing the word of the Lord. Right? The goal is hearing God speak to you. And what City Bible Reading does is it gives you a method of praying that enables you to take what you read and experience God. And so here's a picture of 
<clears throat> I think kind of the, the, really the heart of, I think, what makes City Bible Reading so exciting, it's this uh, four boxes. They're in the journal, too. And we have these journals. They're, uh, they're in, the, in the cafe space. We ask you for five bucks um, just to cover the cost of these. Um, so you can pick one up. But um, so what this, what this praying does is this forces you, it teaches you how to pray in a way that lets you experience God. And so those, gosh, those words are really small, aren't they? Dang. So we have this acrostic that we use to pray. It's the acrostic ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. C stands for confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And S stands for supplication. And those are words that just help us to connect with God as we read. And so actually, yeah, the reason these words are so small is because actually I don't want you to read this. I want you to go, oh, man, I better go get a journal so I can take one home. So I did that on purpose, actually. No, I didn't. Adoration says, like, you read a passage of the Bible. Like, you read this verse, okay? You read this verse doing city Bible reading. And adoration is, okay, what in this passage shows me that God is amazing? That's it. And so when I read this verse, I think, wow, okay, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. God, you speak. You actually speak to us. You don't want us to be ignorant. You don't want us to live in deafening silence. But you actually speak. God, that is amazing. It is amazing to me that you would speak to us because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it, and yet you do. You speak to us. Um, And actually, you speak through people. Wow, God, so not only are you willing to speak to us, but you are willing to condescend so that other people, human beings, can actually speak for you. That's amazing, and that reminds me that all of us have a part to play in that. God, that you would not just speak through Haggai the prophet, but that there are times when you've used me to speak to other people. There are times when I've been able to share with somebody else some truth from the Bible so that you have spoken through me God, that you would do that. You are amazing. You, are, you deserve my worship. I bow down to you because you are a God who is so big and amazing and awesome, and yet you care enough to speak to me, and you actually dignify me so much that you would use me to speak to others. That's adoration, just from this verse. Confession. So if adoration is kind of like, this is how God is awesome, confession is, well, this is how I'm not awesome. Okay? Just simply. And so from this verse, God, you speak. Boy, um, I don't listen very well, do I? God, I'm sorry that I don't spend as much time reading the Bible, spending time with you as I should. God, I'm sorry that I spend more time with Netflix than with the Bible. I'm sorry I spend more time with ESPN.com than with the Bible. God, I'm sorry that I will run to any of my friends to get advice when something goes wrong, but I don't come to you. I'm sorry, God. I don't want to be that way. Will you please forgive me and change my heart? That's confession. Thanksgiving, this isn't just general Thanksgiving, but this is specifically thanking Jesus for being an awesome Savior. Right, so if adoration is, God, you're awesome. Confession is, I'm not awesome. Thanksgiving is, Jesus, as my Savior, you are awesome. And so this is, what does this verse teach us about Jesus as the Savior? 
And so with that, I'm like, wow, go back to prophet, priest, and king. It's probably the best place to go. Jesus, thank you for being my prophet. Thank you for coming. Jesus, thank you for being my priest that now I don't need a priest. I can go right into God's presence because you are my intercessor. You intercede for me. You give me forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for offering yourself as a sacrifice for my sins. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Thank you for bringing me into God's presence. You did this. It's done. It's, I mean, thank you, Jesus. So that's what Thanksgiving is. Um, and then supplication is, Spirit, make me awesome. Right? If confession is, here's how I'm not awesome, Spirit, or supplication is, Holy Spirit, you live in me. Please transform me from the inside out. Um, and so, and this is where, for, again, with this verse, it could be, Holy Spirit, give me the strength and the self-discipline to spend time reading the Bible. Um, Holy Spirit, convict my heart when I will spend 15 minutes on Facebook first thing in the morning when I grab my phone. Convict me so that I'll spend time reading the Bible before I hit Facebook. Like, work in my heart so that I'll get to a place where I will choose to spend time with you before anything else. Um, Holy Spirit, help me to hear you. I mean, through the Bible, help me to hear you, though, when my conscience is bothering me, when I'm doing stuff wrong. Help me to hear you when other people speak to me, right? Supplication is you asking the Holy Spirit to change and transform you, okay? So, God, you're awesome. I'm not awesome. Thank you, Jesus, for being awesome. Spirit, make me awesome. It sounds simple. It's kind of simplistic. The word awesome is kind of weird using, you know, it feels a little bit irreverent, but it just gets the point home, like it, it's that simple to meet God and to hear his word, right? This is how you can do it. You can read the Bible, you can hear his word, and then if you pray like this, your relationship with God will deepen. You will experience more. And when you start supplicating, when you start asking the spirit, you know, to change you, who knows? Like God may put on your heart, you know what? There's a relationship here that you need to work on. When you're confessing your sin, the spirit might prompt you to think about a situation in the workplace that you need to make right or something that, you know, a fight that you had with a friend or a spouse or a loved one. Um, and again, these are ways that we hear God speak to us. Um, and so this is, this is where it starts. Like it starts with God. It starts with hearing the word of the Lord, hearing the word of the, of the God of second chances. Um, and I would say that when you do this, don't do it alone, okay? If you're gonna adopt CBR, if you take a journal home with you, don't try to do this on your own. Grab one other person in your life. Could be somebody in your life group. Um, could be the person who invited you to church. Um, could be somebody that you know who does a good job of reading the Bible. I mean, whatever it is. But um, engage with this, not as a lone ranger. But engage with this and just let someone else know that you're doing it. Tell someone else what you're going to be reading and then share with them what you're learning. Um, because I think, again, like God didn't speak directly to the people. He spoke through the prophet. And there's a principle there that we need each other. Okay, we can't do this on our own. And so um, I think that one of the best ways to stick with something like this is to be doing it with someone else. So again, grab someone else and just check in with them throughout the week. 
It could be like, I know a couple people are like literally texting each other back and forth. Like, hey, this is what I learned today after they're done with city Bible reading. So they read the chapter, they do their prayer time, and then they're going to text, hey, I learned this today. Um, just as a way to sort of stay on top of it, right? I mean, even exercise regiments, you need an accountability partner. Um, so if we're will, I mean, if you're willing to do this, like, think about it. Think about it. Think about the year 2016, right? We have about 358 days left, um, give or take. Um, that was bad math, but that's okay. Um, what do you think God might do in your life if you spent, I don't know, 300 of the next 354 days listening to him? If you were to open yourself up to God's power 300 days this year, how do you think God might start working in your life? I mean, if you're like me, I'm sick and tired of new beginnings that go nowhere. But I know, I know that if I start with God and if I begin my day, if I begin my time listening to God and connecting with him, God does things. It's amazing what God does. Um, My heart changes. My edges get softened and smoothed over. Uh, My, I mean, I grow as a person. I begin to see more of an influence on the people around me. I begin to see that what I'm praying for in the lives of people around me begins to happen so that I feel like I'm actually living, like walking through life hand in hand with God. I feel like he's my heavenly father and we're in this together. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for our church. So let's do this together. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking. We thank you that even in just in this one verse, we see that you speak. We see the leadership that we need and the leadership that you have provided for us in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for accomplishing our salvation, for bringing us back to God, for telling us even the stuff we don't want to hear, and for giving us the strength we need to grow. Jesus, I pray that you would put on each one of our hearts a person so that we can do this with someone else. And help us even now as we pray, help us to commit to connecting with that person today, today so that we'd be able to take action and start to listen to you with someone else. Jesus, we want to see what you would do. And so we devote ourselves to you, and we thank you for loving us, speaking to us. We're listening. We pray this in your name. Amen.